0: Colorectal cancer stands as the third most prevalent diagnosis and the second most lethal malignancy. Notably, it's one of the cancers that can be effectively treated with the potential of cure, especially when detected at an early stage. Consequently, the importance of screening for colon cancer cannot be overstated. Presently, the commonly utilized screening methods include the search for blood in the stool, known as fecal occult blood testing, Or the use of endoscopic procedure involving the insertion of a camera into the bowels to detect cancers. While these tests are valuable, it's essential to acknowledge their limitations and associated costs. Now, envision a scenario where we could harness the abilities of bacteria to navigate the stool samples and pinpoint specific cancer-related genes. What if this bacteria could not only detect the presence of these genes, but also identify the precise mutations within the cancer itself. So hello everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. My name is Rupin, I'm your host Delta and where we interview researchers, the startup founders and policymakers who are responsible for making a Delta or a difference in healthcare system. Today I have an amazing guest, I'm so excited, from Australia, Dr. Wortley. Dr. Wortley earned a Bachelor's of Medicine, Bachelor's of Science, with honors from the University of Adelaide in 2000. He furthered his qualification by becoming a fellow at the Royal Australian College of Physicians in 2006. His academic journey continued as he completed a PhD in 2010 and earned a Master's of Public Health in 2011, both from the University of Queensland. He expanded his horizon with a four-year postdoc research at Columbia University in New York, where he worked with laboratories of distinguished figures like Professor Tim Wang and Professor Siddhartha Mukherjee. Returning to Australia in 2014, he established a new GI cancer biology laboratory at the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute, starting a human colorectal organoid banking service a new transitional mouse model of primary metastatic colorectal cancer and the synthetic biology pipeline of engineered bacteria to detect and treat colorectal cancer. He continued working as a consultant gastroenterologist in multiple public hospitals and private facilities in Australia. Dr. Wortley is an active clinician scientist with particular focus on inherited gastrointestinal cancers like GAPS, FAP, MAP, Lynch syndrome, colonoscopy quality, and colorectal cancer prevention. In 2019, he moved to Brisbane to become a partner at the colonoscopy clinic. Here, he collaborated with a team of highly skilled individuals dedicated to delivering a future where no Australian dies of colorectal cancer. I'm so delighted to have you back, Dr. Wortley. Rupin, thank you very much for reaching out to us. It's a delight to speak with you. You recently published a paper in Science, and when I read the paper, my mind was blown, and that's who uh, that's why i wanted to interview you to explain this technology for everyone who is listening to the podcast in simple terms and we can dip di- dive deep into the details of it so let's start um, what is bacterial engineering if i'm just starting reading the paper or listening to the podcast what does that mean well so engineering if you if you, you dive
1: into the words engineering is about making something an instrument an engine a machine in order to solve a particular problem and it's it's engineering isn't it it's not engineology. it's it's an iterative process it's doing something it's you know fundamentally you design you build you test you learn and then you repeat and that's the concept of engineering so then we have bacteria so the machine the engine that we're creating is housed within A chassis and that chassis is a bacteria Um, now how do you make a bacteria try and solve a problem so how do you engineer using a bacteria to do that or any cell and all of the information the code within a cell the code that makes a cell a specific type of cell do a certain thing become an eyelash uh, um, be able to fight cancer um, is basically housed within its genetic code, the DNA that exists within the bacteria, and which of those genes it turns on at certain times. Um, so the fundamental instrument, the 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 keys that we can manipulate in order to engineer a bacteria, are the fundamental genetic code. And molecular biology is advanced to the point where actually manipulating the genetic code of an organism is 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 fairly simple now. Um, and so so we have that we have the ability to code a a cell. Um, and then we need to define, of course, what the problem is. and then the 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 sort of the four steps are um, how do we, How are we going to define the signal, the thing that activates the cell? How is that cell then going to process that signal um, via basically very analogous to electrical circuits, um, but genetic circuits that interact and work together? Um, what's the best bacteria to contain this? What's the best chassis? And then finally, when the signal is processed within the right place, Via the right pathway, what is the output? So it's sort of signal, chassis bacteria process, and then output. And 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 people have been for decades, um, you know, engineering cells to address different problems. Um, we used it a- as a way of detecting cancer.
0: Wow, amazing! So if I'm coming from an IT background, it's just like it sounds like the way you, it's similar to engineering a software or a computer to do a certain task. Brilliant. So, and it's written such in code like that. So it's really,
1: it's a beautiful thing. Like, I can't quite remember the the story of the, of the origin of biochemistry, but I think it was at MIT and I think there was a biologist and, the, and there was a chemist, and I should know all these people's names, but they met in a corridor and then they just invented biochemistry. And the <laughs> same sort of thing has happened with synthetic biology and, and engineering, bacteria it's been physicists and mathematicians and computer programmers and biologists who have all come together at the fringes at the fingertip, fingertips of these specialties to create something new and it's um do you know what I, I've been one of these people that is really at my fingertips for a lot of uh, a lot of synthetic biology but it makes it a hell of a lot of fun as well
0: wow amazing so I started reading your paper and terms started coming up. And I think one of the terms I asked myself, and if you can explain to the audience is like, what is natural competence, horizontal gene transfer? What does it mean? And how it can affect the bacteria in the human gut? That's a really cool question. It's a fundamental part
1: of the paper. You know, if you were to say, what is the what is the fundamental part or the uh, the utility of the paper or the thing that we we use, it is horizontal gene transfer. Um, do you know what, you know, genes can be passed, genes are the fundamental unit of heredity. Um, They're what give you your mother's laugh and your father's eyebrows, right? So, um, and they can be passed a number of ways. Uh, They can be inherited vertically from parents to offspring, or in the bacterial world, when one cell undergoes binary division into two cells, and it passes from parent to daughter cell uh, their genetic code, um, and that's called vertical transmission. There is also horizontal transmission. So this occurs outside of vertical parent to offspring inheritance. So bacteria, um, prudish as they are, uh, they 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 don't have sexual reproduction. Um, so there need there is some value in gene swapping and uh, transfer of different genetic information between cells. Um, And the process that they do it is through horizontal gene transfer. So passage of one unrelated cell to another cell. And there are a couple of different mechanisms by which that can occur. Um, There's uh, conjugation. um, There is transduction. Um, and there is also uh, uh, there is also one called natural competence, natural competence, the the the, um, the value of natural competence or uh, well, the, the type of horizontal gene transfer, the natural competence is, is actually a cell that is able to look around its immediate environment and hoover up, vacuum up, suck up parts of cell free DNA. So, this is perhaps there's a, bias, there's a nearby cell that has died um, or has been injured and has released some of its DNA into the immediate environment. And the bacterial cell, a, a bacterial cell that has natural competence, this capacity to take up, absorb uh, external uh, cell free DNA. Um, is able to do this and it often does it uh, in in, honestly not only for gene swapping but for nutrition or for nourishment uh, for other reasons other than gene swapping. Um, However it can take up and particularly when there are genes or DNA that are similar to its own genome it can actually integrate and use that external DNA into its own bacterial genome. There are you know, obvious, and some of your clinicians will know, um, you know, in terms of antibiotic resistance, you know, this can be a, a mechanism by which antibiotic resistance is conveyed. And in fact, the the inception of this project followed a presentation that was just about that. So um, I was at UC San Diego, Jeff Hastie's lab meeting, and Rob Cooper, who's the first author, on the equal first author on the paper, um, was presenting work on antibiotic resistance, and he had Acinetobacter balearicus, A. balearicus, which is the sort of the star of the show, which is a, a very well-studied naturally competent cell. So this bacteria is is a real maestro at sucking up ex- external cell-free DNA, and he showed this really cool video. The Hasty Lab always does very beautiful, self-evident science where you can really understand the methods and the results within a few frames of a video. And he basically had one green cell and one red cell and the, the, the green cells were resistant, but were getting eaten and passed on directly the antibiotic resistance gene to the red population, which then exploded in a bloom of red and green becoming yellow. So it was this sort of, this sort of, uh, you know, sort of bacterial natural competence, antibiotic resistance uh, mechanism that he was presenting um and you know looking at two cells a- and you would do this in your own life whether clinically or in the lab you you, you just you know w- there's the obvious analogy from your own life whatever it is and you can just apply look one of those cells could be cancer so how ha- how, how could we make that work? And that was the sort of the discussion at the end of that lab meeting. Um, so horizontal gene transfer is the is the passing of 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 genetic material from from one cell to an unrelated cell fundamentally. and this is happens this happens very it's, it's very commonplace in my in the microbial world.
0: Wow, amazing. So in, like for us as a human beings, we can only pass the genes to our kids and children but bacteria can pass it to each other can take it from the cells around them even if they are human cells in simple terms
1: absolutely and or from you know viruses transduction from bacteriophages that infect them and carry other genetic material so yes there is although there is not sexual reproduction there is still a it's still a hotbed of genetic uh, uh, swapping lots of little keys in bowls all
0: around the bacterial world all right. Um, so I think we talked about the first two definitions, and now the third definition will help us understand the paper better. Can you tell me a bit about like what's CRISPR and what's catch the technology is based on CRISPR in simple terms, and then we can jump into the steps of this paper to make it more sense.
1: That's and that's the critical uh, th- your third part to it, and you've done that perfectly. So so CRISPR is an ancient means of adaptive immunity uh, and of course um, Jennifer Dudner and Emmanuel Charpentier won the Nobel prize for discovering uh, this um, entity and and then y- being able to utilize it um, fundamentally it's a way of a bacteria being able to recognize and then attack uh, viral uh, particles that they've been exposed to in the past so um, so CRISPR stands for uh, clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. Is what CRISPR. So it's these repetitive uh, 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 sequences that were found within the bacterial genome. Um, how that can then be used? It liberated the capacity for genetic engineering um, in a in, in obviously in a unique and immensely powerful way. And like. Polymerase chain reaction was impossible to remove from a molecular biology laboratory from the very first moments that, that I was ever a scientist. CRISPR is now just inherently fundamental to all aspects of molecular biology uh, over such a short time frame. Um, so the the way that we utilised it is that, you know, so CRISPR uh, was, I think, first described in in within a specific B- bacteria. Um, however, lots of bacteria have a similar system um, and bacter baleae is no different. So it has its own CRISPR system, which Rob Cooper and Jeff Hasty had been working on prior to this work. Um, what that provides is therefore one is able to design a specific code um, that then is uh, flanked by something called a protospacer adjacent motif or a, or a PAM sequence. PAM sequence is like a two-factor authorization for the enzyme to cut a certain site. So you have the sequence, but you also need to have this other additional three-letter sequence. Uh, bailey uh, uh, eyes is NGG. So you have this third little sort of cuff of code. And so what that allowed us to do, so that's the the fundamental mechanisms of CRISPR, a specific genetic code by a guide RNA can attract a DNA's cutting enzyme. Um, Why that's important for us is that we wanted to define a cancer-specific gene. The tricky thing about cancer-specific genes is they're often very similar to normal genes. So all of a sudden, you need to define something, sometimes on a single base pair change. That is the case for one of the most important oncogenes in human cancer called KRAS. Um, So KRAS G12D means that at a specific place, uh, codon 12, there's a change in the amino acid residue from glycine to aspartate, G12D. But the actual genetic event that generates that change in amino acid is a, substitute, a substitution of, glyce, uh, uh, of um, a guanine to adenine. So G to A substitution. One single base pair is the difference between normal KRAS gene present in every single cell of your body versus cancer causing KRAS. So that seems like a hard thing for a bacteria to do however k uh, crispr is able to provide single base pair resolution if one can design a guide where that second factor authorization pam site overlays that mutation site which is how we designed this approach so uh, i'm getting a little bit of ahead of myself but but let's if there is a K rash gene that comes in and is integrated into the bacterial genome via a mechanism that we may allude to later. Um, if it's wild type, then the Pam sequence is maintained. The Cas associated protein comes in, cuts the DNA, and kills the cell. If, however, the the the, uh, DNA that comes in is mutant KRAS. It then has a single base pair substitution that all of a sudden destroys that PAM site. All of a sudden, the code that is required for the guide RNA to bring in a DNA-cutting protein is lost. That bacteria that's taken up mutant DNA is then preserved, and if it has a selection, a means of selection, it will proliferate. But only those that have taken up mutant DNA will be able to survive. Um, and so that was that was just a vi- that was a very lucky, like essential. But also it was very lucky that that Rob had been working so closely and so hard on Asaenia bacteriophages CRISPR system. We were discussing this you know, this problem, you know, when we were already down, you know, it was obviously something that was coming up, but we thought that the first bits probably wouldn't work. So we presumed that this wouldn't become a a major issue. And then, and Rob was like, well, actually, I've worked on that before. It's just a single base pair mutation. I'm going to be able to engineer it, provided it lies within a PAM that will be able to cut the wild type DNA. Um, and the PAM sites are actually very regular, so that actually it was a very high likelihood that KRAS G- G12D or in fact any any codon twelve mutations would lo- would would have a PAM that would overlie it. So, I, I'm that was a confusing rambling uh, answer, but I hope that paints some of the
0: the CRISPR value. Sorry, if we're going to see in. Simple words. CRISPR, it's a like a scissor that cuts the DNA in a specific area and help us to transfer that DNA to the bacteria. Would that make sense? It's perfect. All of a sudden,
1: it is the molecular scissors, absolutely. Wild type KRAS comes in, it's paper. Mutant KRAS comes in, it's a rock. So uh, so so if you if you do that with rock paper
0: scissors that's the sort of the the analogy. <laughs> now that makes sense. And now we have the bacteria yep. who wants the DNA, and now we know we can tell the bacteria which DNA to take and integrate into its own genome. Precisely. And I'm not sure if we touched base about the technology. Also, you mentioned the catch and how it related to CRISPR, and is it the same thing or not?
1: Yes. So catch is actually sort of was a catch all for the entire technology that we described. So, you know, a a cellular approach to characterize horizontal gene transfer. Um, So this was the uh, essentially the concept of using a competent bacterial chassis. It was the concept of then using bait DNA within the bacteria. So. Natural competence can occur, but the likelihood that the DNA that is taken up would integrate into the bacterial genome is based largely on how similar the bacterial genome is to the target DNA. Um, That's largely so that well, bacteria can sample genes from similar bacteria um, rather than totally different bacteria that may not have genes that are going to be of value to it. but so, what we did in that engineering is so naturally competent A. Balei takes it up. That's just A. Balei being A. Balei. What we did is we uh, engineered A. Balei to have a very long segments, flanking segments, um, that were very similar to KRAS, our uh, human KRAS gene. So, all of a sudden, if it took up KRAS, then it was able to more readily integrate. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, that was that was the first sort of uh, um, invention was or well, not an invention but application which was really using um, homologous recombination so uh, uh, DNA that looked like the target DNA um, and then that would be able to integrate. Um, there were some both proof of concept and then um, more um, uh, application driven. Ways that we were able to generate the readout. So, initially, we did it such that we that the the target DNA that was uh, taken up actually corrected a defective antibiotic resistance gene that lay between these flank, flanking regions, um, and then subsequently we did a different approach um, whereby natural Kras DNA. When it was taken up and integrated, it removed a repressor to a subsequent antibiotic resistance gene. And that was the final sort of step whereby a totally natural bit of DNA um, within a target tumour was able to activate our bacteria um, it's important to know. For um, and the 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 science the scientists and the clinicians will rightly want to know is that some of the experiments, particularly at the start of the paper, are really proof of concept experiments where we had engineered both the biosensor, the bacteria, but we had also engineered the DNA within the tumor. Um, that sounds sort of a bit counterproductive, and of course there was a whole lot of discussion about it. Um, but the reason we did that is we didn't we 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 really wanted to test the concept that horizontal gene transfer could work at all in a complicated system. Um, and we felt that the likelihood of it working was very, very low. Um, and so we designed a system as a proof of concept to ask that specific question, understanding that we would need to do further engineering in order to apply it in the clinic.
0: Amazing. So, so far we defined three important terms and then, so we talked about how bacteria can be engineered and we can change the DNA and that's bioengineering. And then we said how bacteria can take DNA from its own peripheral tissues or cells. And then we said about, we talked about how CRISPR, how we can cut the DNA in a specific area and in a specific mutations, and can make this bacteria take this DNA and integrate it into its own genome. Now, my question is, if we can, in simple terms, summarize the entire experiments after we build the building of blocks yes. quickly. Like, what was the experiment? What did you do in it? And what were the results? Lovely, so the, the, way, the way that you're able to get people uh, into
1: slightly uh, grandiose uh, experiments is to go stepwise. You've got all of these go/no-go no go signals along the way that you can abort and save face before you go into very, very large and costly laboratory and animal house and other experiments. And so, um, it's like it's it's like sort of breaking bad news to someone. You do it sort of slowly and sequentially. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the the first the first question was so could this work at all? So Um, The very first experiment we did, which was to engineer the bacteria, the biosensor, to have all of its parts so it could do its job. Um, But the target DNA was initially only the DNA. It wasn't the needle in the haystack. It was a trillion needles is what it was. And so it was what's called plasma DNA. So it's largely just a the purest essence, the Chanel number no. five in a small glass vial of target DNA that we marinated the biosensor in. Um and so that's a very easy, very straightforward in vitro experiment. Um, and then that was a that worked so um. When you just had the target DNA and you mixed it with the biosensor, the biosensor could detect the uh, target, uh, um, not tumour DNA, but the cancerous DNA, the mutant DNA. The next was then, okay, well, if you take then cancer cells, no other cells, no stroma, no microbial uh, DNA from the luminal soup, you know, just cancer cells grown in a dish and then you lyse them, you get Oh, actually, then you purify their genomic DNA. So now you've got the target DNA, but all the other genes, that also worked. And then we took cells that we sort of beat over the head, what's called cellular That They've got all their other proteins and other things, and marinated that, and that worked. Then we did we we just co-cultured cells together, cancer and bacterial cells, and then that worked. Then we used Organoids, so organoids. Do you know what they are? Also very standard in a, in a typical cancer biology lab. A slightly more complicated uh, form of cellular culture, uh, more representative of uh, in vivo tumours. Um, and once again, we did that with co-culture, and then that worked. Um, then we we mixed the biosensor with some mouse poo and spiked that with target DNA. Um, And that was that was a very interesting experiment that, you know, now with so much competing, not even non-target DNA, but just sort of microbial DNA from all the bacteria in the mouse lumen. And then that worked. Um, And then that was the that was the go, no go signal to then um, consider doing this in a mouse model. So mouse Mouse models from even from all of those that they are increasing increments of complexity. But then the the to go from um, sort of spiked mouse poo to administer something to a mouse that's a, a dramatic increase in complexity. You know, it it is an essential increase in complexity. So, uh, but it, it it's a and so we so you know people bring threads from their previous lives. So Rob had obviously brought horizontal gene transfer. Jeff has you know the world's one of the world's greatest synthetic biology labs, um, and he's brought all of this to it. W- what our lab brought to it was that we had, you know one of the uh, one of the um, uh, models that we generated when I moved back to Australia um, was a a modular model of colorectal cancer in a mouse. So, we have organoids harvested from a mouse uh, genetically engineered in certain ways depending on the tumor we wish to model and then via mouse colonoscopy you can inject that into the mouse lumen um, and then sort of over you know six to eight weeks it develops a primary tumor the there are lots of different mouse models of colorectal cancer the reason why that one was good is because the tumour itself is modular. So it's not a genetically engineered mouse model whereby um, the the mouse tumours develop via an an unalterable genetic sequence. We're actually able to engineer, uh, again, that word, the tumours to express the genes that we want them to and that was important so you're for
0: able to go with the colonoscopy into the mouse and inject some cells that can make the tumor that you want with the specific mutation that you want. Exactly. So that's, you know, it's a,
1: it's a cool, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice, it produces lovely videos. Um, it is, you know, when you're presenting to a clinical audience, it's obviously attractive, but it's valuable Particularly, and when I came back, you know, in, my, in the Columbia lab, we we didn't want for resources in terms of funds and animal house budget and size. But when I came back, you know, what well, I did, didn't have a whole lot of money. And and the reality is is that it's a lot cheaper too if you want to study a range of different. It has limitations, but if you want to start study a range of different genetic types of tumor, to have something that you can engineer in vitro and then deliver into a you know a uh, generic mouse has value when you're wanting to study different pathways so um you know for for a range of reasons largely because I, I, I was a bit skint and wasn't flush with with funds. We sort of we chose that as being the model that we would develop. But then for this particular project, you had to have a, a modifiable genetic system in the proof of concept. You had to be able to design a tumor that housed important target DNA um, that we would then be able to study in, in our first mouse experiment. So um so we each brought those things in. We, we then delivered. And, you know, the biggest bang for your buck, although and once again, it's it is it is a far cry from the clinic and how we would do it ultimately in humans. But we delivered it via an enema, the biosensor. How do you get the most bugs around a colorectal tumour that you've injected via colonoscopy? And that's to put a high number of them rectally uh, into the mouse. Um, And so that was once again, it's a proof of concept not how it would be applied. Um, And there are developmental aspects that we would need to do for it to be an orally deliverable biosensor. Any biosensor, any engineered bacteria with a target within the gastrointestinal tract, in my opinion, needs to be delivered orally for it to be an effective clinical solution. Um, So we are not at that stage, but that was the experiment. Mouse with tumour, mouse without sort of a a case and control type study delivered biosensor and then we collected that and then found that theoretically those biosensors that were exposed to tumour should become resistant to a certain antibiotic we plated those and found just that they turned green they're antibiotic resistant and only in the tumour, only the biosensors delivered to tumour bearing mice. So, um, you know, we were able to show that uh, we we're able to find all of the tumour bearing mice and the sensitivity and specificity was was perfect uh, in a very small in a mouse model um, in, in, in our hands. So that was the stepwise very simple, the simplest possible experiment, through not to the most complicated experiment, but to a a complicated preclinical model, to show that it could work, you know, in the vagaries of stromal cells, other inflammatory cells, the the microbial soup. Um, so that was that was a lovely moment when when that ultimately worked.
0: Wow, this is mind blowing. This is like amazing. When I read the paper, I was very impressed. I'm still impressed. I'm just like. So, like, in simple terms, you were able to bring some mouse and some mice, and, like, you were able to make a tumor with a specific mutation grow. And then you brought bacteria, you told the bacteria, go and detect this specific mutation in the mouse model, and the bacteria was able to do that. That's right. That's right. So the, the, wow. the mouse model
1: the mouse model that we published in, in science um it, it had had modified target DNA as well as being the 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 proof of concept demonstration that was able to correct antibiotic resistance within the biosensor. So it was it was tumor DNA that was released from the tumor into the lumen. That's where it met the biosensor. Um, which was able to take it up, incorporate it, activate a circuit within the bacteria to have the readout.
0: Um, So, yes, so it was an exciting sort of uh, development. Amazing. So now, after talking about the experiments, let's talk about the applicability. Cool. Cool. Currently, like, let's say, can, can you tell me a bit, and can you tell the audience a bit, like, how do we screen people for colon cancer, and what are the problems with the screening methods? It's, that's such a great question. And there's, you know what,
1: there is a whole lot that is great about colorectal cancer screening, both in the US, Canada and in Australia. Um, and, you know what, there is so much good at the moment um, that, you know, you don't want to dissuade anyone from getting involved. The key, The key approaches are either... That sort of basically for people that are at average risk, um, that don't have any symptoms, um, that don't have a high family history, a high risk from family history, basically they come along at 45 years of age. Um, The actual ages vary a little bit, but the Australian recommendations are now 45. I know the U.S. ones depends on which society you're listening to, but um, 45 is is broadly considered to be the the time of starting screening for for colorectal cancer. And then there are a couple of different approaches and you know several of of the approaches are endorsed sometimes there's two-step screening um, so that might be either looking for microscopic blood that's released within the from the tumor into the bowel lumen and then into the stool into the poo Um, it's called immunochemical faecal occult blood testing If it's positive, you then go on to colonoscopy, two-step. There's also stool DNA. Coligard is a a very popular test in the US that combines testing stool DNA. So this is abnormal DNA from the tumour, as well as immunochemical faecal blood testing. So they sort of combine those two, and we can talk about why that's important. And if that's positive, you go on to colonoscopy. Also there is direct screening with colonoscopy um and um and then and then there are some more other peripheral sort of optical views such as CT colonography where if a polyp is detected on a, on basically an x-ray you then go on to colonoscopy to make a a a histological diagnosis so you sort of go from uh screening on the basis of 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 pre-test probability on the basis of age largely um, and that needs to improve in the future but currently that's it Um, and then you go to sort of somewhat increasing that pre-test probability further by uh, blood in the poo um, some abnormal DNA or blood in the poo or an abnormality on on an x-ray to then further increase that pretest probability to get to colonoscopy or you go straight to colonoscopy. Now, the benefits and risks of those two, the benefits and uh, and disadvantages of those two. Um, the first one is um, participation. Uh, so uh, not necessarily is, are all of these things resolved by our application, but participation is the biggest issue um, as a very widely Promoted New England Journal of Medicine article not that long ago, which really showed that that some colorectal cancer screening, although reliably shown previously to improve cancer specific mortality, had less than uh, stellar um, advantages um, when you considered on an intention to treat basis. Um, but but when you drill down into those that did it, it's really valuable. So the problem here, like in America and like in the in Canada is that a lot of people, particularly at the age of 45, aren't tuned in to cancer screening one. And if they are, they're not super keen on testing their poo or having a colonoscopy. So, you know, participation is important. Now, why is participation poor? Well, part of those factors are just inertia, feeling like you're too young. The grey hairs haven't come in quite so much as they have in me yet, so you think you're young. Um, but then there are other real you know non-psychological things like uh, like cost. um that's a really important one and and can be limiting depending on where you live. Um, uh, certainly, uh, um, inconvenience is a huge is a huge one. Um, and although colonoscopy can be de- delivered very simply, um conveniently and you know uh, and and with determination affordably, um it, it's a day off work um and and that part of it can be difficult for some people um and and do you know what colonoscopy is a very safe procedure but there there are theoretical risks in terms of complications of invasive any invasive procedure requiring sedation so
0: yeah i you completely know, agree. like my mom also like she was going to have a colonoscopy and like And just the preparation for it, you know, like getting prepared, the drinking that fluid and having all the diarrhea 24, 48 hours before my my girlfriend had the colonoscopy and the fasting is sucked. It it wasn't a happy experience at all. And then like someone drive you, you have to take time off work. So there is some financial toxicity as well. So there are tons of things that come with colonoscopy.
1: know we are we are an amazon society like you know we are a customer service society where you know healthcare needs to start be delivered so that you are delighted delighted with the actual health interaction um Mm -hmm. and you know what as much as we try and i I work at a place called colonoscopy clinic we do a lot of hard thinking around this but you know what we are not there you know we are not there having a delightful experience um and and people tell us because they don't get involved in participation. Um, and so they present, they don't participate in screening and then they present when they develop symptoms. Um, and the, the reason colorectal cancer is such a great one for screening is that early colorectal cancer, whenever I diagnose early colorectal cancer, particularly from screening, it is a story of success. These people yeah. go on. They have they they may require surgery if it's cancerous at the time they may if they had just have an advanced polyp it's curable at colonoscopy but then almost all of them more than 95 percent of people with stage one will live following surgical resection alone um, however as it advances and becomes more advanced spreads to lymph nodes then all of a sudden adjuvant chemotherapy is required. It's hard spreads to liver and then and then that's when the mortality is 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 dramatically impaired. So you either you either bring diagnosis earlier to earlier stages or advanced pre invasive disease, or you improve survival in advanced diseases. They're the way you stop people dying of colorectal cancer. So for all of those reasons, do you know what? Um, you, you know, there, there are there are new things on the horizon, and it's important to talk about these other new ones. So uh, wonderful companies like Grail and, and other screening um, uh, services of the blood, which is far more convenient, um, a, a, as a sort of a, an evolving new first step um, as a means of, you know, molecular risk profiling to see if they can find tumour DNA within the blood yeah, to good. then to then sort of initiate colonoscopy. Um, so what are the, the, what are the benefits or dis- what are the benefits of having a cell do those jobs? Well, do you know what? So laboratory laboratories and in vitro testing is not too bad. Do you know what? It mm-hmm. is not... So dreadful, and Collargard um, as a as a test, um, which combines stool DNA and fecal occult blood test, has has pretty good data uh, around it. Um, the advantages of a cell based system are, are there are two advantages I see the strongest ones. One is that it was able to detect DNA in an unprocessed sample, so. What does that mean? Well, it means that you don't need to extract it. You don't need to send it to a lab. You don't need people in white coats to use reagents to process it. By using a cellular biosensor, all of the sophistication goes into the cell. So mm-hmm. you miniaturize a bit like a pill cam. You know, I'm a yes, gastroenterologist. Yes, yes. You know, it miniaturizes a movie. You know, a, you know, a movie, not a, you know, a, a a cinema set, within a pill in order to take mm-hmm. a video. You know, a cellular-based biosensor miniaturizes a laboratory, and so um, it's able to 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 re- reduce the cost cost and complexity of processing a sample. And do you know what? That may not always be. Um, you know, of, of dire importance in in Detroit or in Brisbane or in other. But certainly as you get into more resource poor or more remote remote settings, um, that can be really valuable and has real potential. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, potential. Um, I agree. The, 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 the other thing that's nice that a laboratory test can never do with a cell-based test, and it's and it's part of why colonoscopy is a pretty good test, you can seek, you can detect a precancerous polyp and then you can remove it you exactly. can find and respond because you've got an organism uh, mm-hmm. a couple more cells than one but you've got an organism in the middle of that process maybe there might be machine learning artificial intelligent ways of 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 cool machines doing that in the future but but at the moment it requires an organism to detect and then respond and CAR T cells are a perfect example where they detect and then they kill a cancer, and they can yeah, do that yeah. because they're a cell. Um, yeah. And and so we're uh, gastroenterologists are cancer preventionists. So, you know, where this this was very fortunate to get to get published in Science because it's a it's a cool new signal for for yes. all of
0: technique, yeah, for,
1: for synthetic biology, but but maybe the clinical application where this would come into its own is going to be responding to that signal. Um, we didn't publish that and and, and I, 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 you know I don't want to suggest that that we, we didn't show that in the paper at all, but that's the that's the end point where you have detection of unprocessed sample which we can do. Um, DNA is a cool new signal, um, but then you can respond the cell through the circuitry. You can respond at the time and at the place of disease detection. And so uh, yeah. th- that's, that's, that's years away, but thats that is the promise of this, that technology above those others.
0: I just want to add one point. Even like in resource resourceful alias, like here, like in Canada, like my parents are in Canada or in Ottawa, and like I'm doing my fellowship in Detroit. Uh, like for example, in Canada, the, the government here, it's um, they send this fecal occult blood tests uh, to my parents, and they have to do it and send it back. Like it, it is a still mm-hmm. a test that takes time, takes effort. So like you have to collect your poop in a a specific way and you have to put it in the uh, test kit and then you have to send the testing kit back to the government or like the health companies who are running the tests, and they have to do the test and then they will give you back an answer. Like even in like first world countries where everything is there, like we still have like it, it, it it, it is, there are lots of steps to do. For example, like I can't really count what I eat every day because like I need to manually input my this yes. which is like stupid. Of- that drives me nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So it's the same thing here. Like for example, my mom sometimes like which I don't recommend. Like she skipped doing the fecal occult blood test because yes. like it's lots of work for her, and yeah. that could not be the case. But now with this technology, and that's what got me excited. Yeah, we can bring the entire we don't need all that processing. We bring the bacteria, put the bacteria in the poop and tell the bacteria is there cancer the DNA or no. Boom. you yes. have the answer. Yeah. So there, there is, you
1: know, there, there there it it promises some some cool avenues. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I'm I'm delighted that you're delighted too.
0: Oh, yes. I'm very yeah. excited. Like the yeah. the future is here. We need to change how we practice medicine. Yes. Okay. So that being said um now we are talking about specifically like colon cancer yeah do you think that with bioengineered bacteria we can start detecting other types of cancers that's that's a great question and and obviously the answer is is
1: is yes so you know it is the dna input is is modular it can be any dna sequence um that we are bringing into the Biosensor, and because that's just regulated by the sequence of the homology arms within the biosensor. So, at the moment for cancer, it is uh, it is limited to, or at least we've only uh, problem solved for hotspot target mutations. So, in order to utilize this CRISPR technique, we couldn't detect, for instance, the deletion of a tumour suppressor gene, um, mm-hmm. APC is a classic one. So our system wouldn't be able... So we could detect KRAS G12D or BRAF V600E, also present in melanoma. I mean, we could detect specific hotspot mutations, but the some other genetic events in, in cancer, chromosomal instability, et cetera, We haven't got a a solution to as yet Um, um, but absolutely so and and i don't think it's limited to gastrointestinal cancers per se either the way that it becomes a bit more powerful like one mutation is is cool um, when previously no mutations could be detected by bacteria um, but the way that you make it a bit more powerful is to multiplex it so um, and and collar you know is it, it does look at KRAS G12D, but it, it looks at other mutations as well. Um, yes, exactly. And, the, and then so you can build up um, and overlap um, in order to increase your breadth as well as your specificity for certain mm-hmm, tumours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you know, gastrointestinal tract is an obvious one because it's, it's you know, it's filthy with microbes in health. Um, but with a complementary chassis species, you, you could foresee a time where, the stomach, the esophagus, uh, the nasopharynx, the genitourinary urinary tract, the skin, etc., could be could be um, sort of um, uh, addressed in the same way. And you know, the other thing to say is that yes, cancer is cool. Uh, important cancer is important. It's very uncool, but it's very important. Um, but DNA is important in a whole lot of things so uh, the other classic clinical scenario would be an infection so um infection and cancer yeah, right. are are clonal disorders they start with a specific cell that proliferates yeah. mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. defined genetically so you know um we, we uh, you know that's also some low hanging fruit particularly in the gastrointestinal tract either to record or respond to certain infections, uh, certain you know uh, microbes, particularly those that may be fairly poorly harvested or cultured from a stool sample, um, because they reside higher up in the gastrointestinal tract. So, you know, it's cancer, it's infection, it's further development with multiplexing, it's proof of concept of being able to both detect and respond. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're the they're the the the, the next clinical steps. Um, there are also a couple of other sort of kooky ideas. The guys in synthetic, the biology lab, do a lot of environmental work where uh, bacteria responds to, you know, heavy metals and other things within your water sources, and and certainly anywhere where DNA and life and measuring it is important, whether that's an algal bloom in a nuclear cooling yeah. pond or, you know, there are there are other sort of non medical. Um, you know, uh um, applications that we 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 don't necessarily have the immediate
0: bandwidth to utilize but we we hope that we might be able to exploit in the future mm-hmm. for, for for our listeners who don't have like the medical background like they don't understand the battle patho, pathobiology or pathophysiology of colon cancer so in colon cancer arise usually we can detect some genetic mutations And what we've been talking about in this podcast and this video is like we engineered bacteria to detect a specific type of mutation, but there are tons of other mutations that we are not able to detect currently with bioengineered bacteria, but we will hopefully be able to do that in the future. And these mutations, for example, like one of the, the same mutation that can cause a colon cancer, it can also be linked to other types of cancers. And, um, and that's why we test for these mutations. And there are some people, for example, I saw a patient who had the CHECK2 mutation a while ago, yep. and patients with CHECK2 mutations are exposed or they have higher risk of developing, for example, breast, thyroid, colon, and other types of cancer, or ovarian cancer. So now cancer, it's not the cancer, but the, the question is not detecting a cancer. The question is detecting the, the genetic mutation with bioengineered bacteria that can go and tell me, okay, so this person has... This mutation and they have high risk of developing xyz cancers and that's where the future lies absolutely so yes and and to,
1: to be able to link a genotype complementary response is 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 an attractive sort of additional you, you've got the laboratory and then the physician within the cell
0: got it okay so the last question and yes so when we Think about this. Like, Do you think from your perspective, are there any ethical considerations or safety precautions that should be taken into account when you are using this technology, bioengineering the bacteria to take the specific genetic mutations?
1: So the answer is absolutely yes. And so, um, and uh, the, however, however, what I would also add is that engineered bacteria, engineered cells are commonplace, not only in trials, but, but car Ts are a classic example of, of engineered cells that are FDA approved and being used today and are saving lives in young people with ALL. Um, so there is, there is always, there, there is absolutely, and I'll go through and list the key sort of regulatory requirements uh, or at least hurdles that we need to get through um, and, and potential concerns. But I just wanted to preface by saying that you know engineered cells are here uh, and they are being used. So although, and a couple, you know, people have talked about this as being sort of almost like scientific, you know, science fiction. Um, and that's the way I feel about a lot of cellular therapies, like you know, these things that are now commonplace to us, whether it's stem cell transplantation, um, organ transplantation, CAR T-cells, in vitro fertilisation. How crazy is that and how beautiful? So there are yeah. all of these, you know, there are these incredibly, com- not, you know, uh, common places, not the right, but there, there are these miraculous cellular therapies that we use already that we take for granted. Um, however, n- the new kids that come along absolutely need to be vetted and 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 the biocontainment for bacteria is, of course, always a huge and increasingly in recent years, the containment of biologically um, uh, modified uh, organisms, um, you know, is is appropriately, very carefully scrutinised. Um, what are those regulatory requirements? Well, you know, you you need to prove that the chassis species is safe within human trials. So Acinetobacter balei is... Um, Uh, largely non-pathogenic in in immunocompetent people. But we would need to look at how does it go in normal, healthy folks, even without the engineering. So to be delivered in capsule form in the dose uh, that we're going to be delivering it in. Um, And then the genetically engineered form within a patient group. So, you know, a phase one trial um, in people with the the known mutation um, to see if we're able to detect Um, and respond we need to be cautious and measure and ensure that just as there is dna swapping in between um uh, tumor and bacteria that there isn't swapping between bacteria and other bacteria that Mm -hmm. makes that makes the that makes the readout of antibiotic resistance a less attractive readout than 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 other less concerning readouts, and, and and there are other ways of, of metabolically selecting for cells that are of no antibiotic uh, a transfer risk, um, and and then it needs to you know fundamentally be shown to be doing its job better than the current gold standards, um, and the gold standards are good, so you know there there is a series of bars uh, hurdles to get over. Um, The safety ones are important, Um, biocontainment, antibiotic resistance, um, just the nature of the chassis species, how it affects one's native microbiome. Um, And um, however, you know, companies like Synlogic and and, and other companies are using engineered bacteria now for uh, metabolic diseases such as PKU. Um, And so, you know, this is stuff that is happening. And, And what's lovely, it's best. It's great to be the first, but it's hardest to be the first. And I feel like we're coming in at a time in bacterial engineering where some of the heaviest lifting has already been done by some other great pioneers in terms of the regulation. So, um, you know, it's 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 it it, it, it is still challenging stuff, um, but it, it but it has precedent, um, and and that's that's always that always helps when when trying to deliver something of value.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I just want to um, uh, quote a great book I've been reading recently. I'm very uh, uh, interested in entrepreneurial books. There is a great book. It's called Zero to One. And uh, it's by Peter Thiel. And like one of the Uh, concepts, he says, it's not about the person who gets first into the market. It's about the person who go to the market and find something that can last for 10 years. So I think this is a great time to introduce this and to be in the market as well. That's a very cool. I'll read that book. That sounds like a cracker. That's a very good insight. Oh, it's, it's, it's it? really, yeah, it's, it's a really great book. It's a really mm-hmm. great entrepreneurial mm-hmm. book for sure. Ah, mm-hmm. um, oh, Rupert, may may I
1: just uh, uh, make one further additional thing that yes, I'd love for you to course, incorporate? Course. So you know, this is synthetic bi- synthetic biology, which is really, as I said before, it's at the fingertips of other ex other specialties and other expertise. Um, and I just wanted to acknowledge. You know, I've mentioned some names already, but Professor Jeff Hasty, uh, pioneer of synthetic biology, uh, a giant in the field, um, which I'm very lucky to work with, um, and was in, you know really it was a, it helped drive this project. Uh, his uh, originally postdoc and now scientist working at UCSD, Rob Cooper, um, who was equal first author in the paper. Um, I won't go through every single author, but the, I wanted to also mention Josephine Wright, who um, you know really did the lion's share of the actual experimental work um, in the lab, and also Suzanne Woods, uh, a wonderful colleague and scientist, who ha- has been you know who who I, st- I I got I started working with not long after I returned to Australia, um, and all of those people together. And then uh, uh, the additional authors, you know, uh, were all essential to to getting a sort of a complicated multifaceted study through.
0: Thank you so much for everyone who was part of this study. It's 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 been amazing just to read about it and see it in the news and see how everyone's talking about it. And hopefully this will be the future for us, um, for humanity, because like no one should die from colon cancer. And hopefully with bioengineered bacteria, we can make this happen in the future. Thank you so much for your time, Rupin. Have a lovely day. Thank you so much.